You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Doug Robbins. The Lone Ranger. horse with the speed of light, a cloud of dust, and a hearty Hyo Silver, the Lone Ranger. Man, that gets me excited because that show was actually in syndication when I was a little kid, and I remember back in those days, I was just a little dude before my eyebrows burst forth out of my skull, right? And back in those days, I would hear that theme song, and I would hear Silver going down the dirt road there, and I would go gather up all my stuff to have the full-blown Lone Ranger experience, man. I went and grabbed my little cowboy hat, and I'd put it on my little head, and I would grab my little cat guns and put them around my waist, and I would grab the little dime store mask and put it on my face and then I took my teddy bear and I put my Indian guide headdress on him with a little feather sticking out so he could be Tonto while I'm the Lone Ranger and then I would go get my action figures, not dolls, they're action figures, bro. And they included these action figures like G.I. Joe and Big Jim and Evil Knievel. And they would magically become the outlaw gang that was against the Lone Ranger. And somehow they were associated with all that is evil, my older sisters who were diabolical in every way. And I would sit there in front of the TV with the gang there, my guns and the whole deal, and I would have the full-blown experience. I was living in the adventures of the Lone Ranger. Now, what you got to understand about where I grew up is that there were a lot of Native Americans around where I grew up, and my dad uh, is the last one in our family that you can really tell that looks Native American, and so we didn't just love the Lone Ranger character, we loved Tonto, and when we thought of Tonto, we didn't think like some of you, we didn't think like Tonto, you know, dummy, village idiot, (laughs) right? But we were thinking like the faithful partner of the Lone Ranger who went with him to fight injustice all over. And so I brought some pictures today of some Lone Rangers, right? So uh, the best Lone Ranger was clearly the Clayton Moore Lone Ranger in the upper left-hand corner, and his tonto was an actor named Jay Silverheels. And then some of you saw, perhaps more recently, even though it didn't do so well at the box office, I thought it was okay. It was Johnny Depp version of tonto, which was kind of cool. And then the Army Hammer uh, Lone Ranger, which by the way, just you know, a little side note here is uh, uh, Army Hammer actually lives right here and has a house here in San Antonio, lives over in Alma Heights. But um, I love this duo, and I want to tell you why. Because the Lone Ranger and Tonto are from very different backgrounds, even different races, yet destiny brought them together to be brothers. And isn't that like the family of God? We're very different. But destiny, God's destiny, brings us together. In fact, last Sunday, um, I was at another church. I was at an AME church on the east side, an African-American uh, church. And it was really great because uh, when I would stand up, they asked me to testify, right? When I stand up to testify, they, like, talk back at me. I really liked that, you know? And there was this dude over on the organ and stuff that was playing when I was talking. You know what I mean? I, I loved that, man. And so anyways, I would talk, and you've heard me give my spiel before, like God in the family of God. There's like everybody from bikers to bankers, PhDs to GEDs, every different age, race, walk of life. 
I would say that, the organ dude would go, er, er, you know, stuff like that whenever I'm talking. I'm like, woo! And then the people start saying, amen, preach it, bring it, white boy, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I was just loving it in that environment, see? But they were getting fired up about the message that we know to be true, that we're all so very different, but God's destiny brings us together as brothers and as uh, brother and sister and, and the like. And so this is the Lone Ranger and Tonto. And the thing you got to understand about the Lone Ranger uh, is that he's not really alone. He's not lone. The Lone Ranger uh, had his uh, great friend in Tonto, and Tonto, this great Indian guy, um, he had, what, what did he call his, his, his ranger, his own ranger? What did he call him? Anybody remember? Kimosabe. Thank you very much. So Kimosabe means faithful friend. Faithful friend. Now, I've had a few Kimosabes in my life, and I remember a time when I was like out of the ministry and stuff, and I remember it was interesting to me, the people that didn't want to be my friend anymore when I wasn't a pastor, and I found out who my real chemosabes were in those days. You know, your chemosabes stick through you, through uh, stick with you through thick and thin. And you know, um, some of you got to understand that your chemosabes are the ones that are in your inner circle. So if you were on that movie, Meet the Parents, who would be in your circle of trust? Remember this. <laughs> Some people are outside the circle, and who do you let inside the circle of trust? We all need our uh, chemosabes that are inside the circle, you know? And we've been in this series called Tribal, in which we've said we're better together. So this series is about us getting into smaller tribes of people, not just being a crowd, but being a community in smaller tribes of people where we're able to get real and get raw about our emotions and what's going on in our lives. And so we're also committed to encouraging each other in our relationship with God, you know, with, with Jesus and learning to follow him. And throughout this series, we've talked about a number of different types of tribes. Let me review some of that. There's what we call the church organized tribes, right? That's where um, it's organized by the church. It might meet in our church facilities, you might have an idea for that, and then you go apply at the back table somewhere to lead one of these groups. You show us your idea and all of that. Um, but then there's also the organic tribes, because sometimes there's no time to get permission. Just get busy, right? Um, so we say we don't want to try and control that. Uh, we want you to just step up and do it. And then there are people we call tribal catalysts. Some of you initiate stuff, right? And I love that. You initiate a tribe. You may just uh, tap someone on the shoulder today and say, hey, let's start a tribe right now today. And that could be um, like an oikos tribe. Now, an oikos tribe, it's just a Greek word that means family. It's like your extended family. And some of you are already in a tribe like that. And you just bring the spiritual part of the conversation to the tribe with something we call tribe talk that I'll show you uh, at the end of the service today. But then there's also what we call the flash tribe. That's where you create a little small spiritual group um, just in the spur of the moment, like a flash mob, right? You've seen flash mobs on the internet, and so you can start a flash tribe, and you see some people at church today, and you say, hey, you look pretty cool. Let's be a tribe today, flash tribe. It's not a long commitment where you have to meet every week for the rest of your life. It's just, hey, let's do it today. And then you go out to eat after church, right? Because remember, tribes do what? eat. Thank you very much. Tribes love to eat. In fact, I'm eating after every service, drinking coffee too, so I'm so fired up today. But then we also have like the row tribe. And so some of you like adopt a row 
invite everybody at your apartment complex or your lofts or your uh, uh, neighborhood or whatever, and you fill a row, and then you go out together and eat afterwards, because remember, tribes do what? Eat. eat and drink caffeine all the time. And then there's like the, the, the hobby tribe. So some people like to get together and do yoga and work out and do artwork together and this kind of stuff. So um, there's all different kinds of tribes. But could it be that God wants to bring you a kimosabi kind of a friend from a tribe in your tribe that you may create, that you may go to, that someone else creates, you might find a kimosabi kind of a friend. Now, some of you have a lot of friends, and I hope today's teaching from the Bible helps deepen those friendships. Um, the next part I'm about to say, some of you are not going to like, because some of you don't really have hardly any friends, let alone a kimosabi kind of friend. And you know what? I, I hate to break it to you, but that could be your fault, you know? You could be what we call a tribal moocher. You know what a tribal moocher is? The tribal moocher can always suck the vibe out of the tribe, you know what I mean? A tribal moocher is someone that goes and is never a giver but always a taker. The tribal moocher is the one that never wants to listen but always wants to talk. And I'm not talking about receiving proper care and love from the other people in your tribe. There's appropriate times when you're down and uh, you're going through a difficult season of life and it's right for you to receive love and grace and sometimes gifts and other things from the tribe to help you. That's what they're there for. But have you ever known someone throughout their whole life, it's kind of like their scheme to go into a group just to suck the resources and life out of other people there? And so let's not be tribal moochers, but let's be characterized as a group of people that contribute to the tribe. And so whether you have a lot of friends or no friends, the one idea I'd like to submit to you today about having a kimosabi is that to get a kimosabi, learn to be a kimosabi. You don't get to control when the kimosabi might come into your life. That's just something that God does. But what you can control is learning to be the best kind of friend that you can be. And then when God brings that person into your life, you're ready to receive that good friend. Now, there are three characters in our Bible story today that I want to introduce to you. The first one is King Saul. King Saul was a great warrior, and he was the king of Israel at this time. He was a handsome man, and many of us believe he may have looked something like this next picture you're about to see. He probably had the long Thor, Fabio-like hair, you know. Um, this is Saul. He was a good-looking man. He stood uh, head and shoulders above other men. But then the second character we're going to see is the king's son. King Saul's son's name was Jonathan. And Jonathan was quite a warrior himself. And Jonathan also was so wise about war plans, his father would come to him to get advice about going into battle. How many of you are so wise that your fathers come to you for advice? And then there is the main protagonist in our story today, and that is David. David had been the shepherd boy who as a teenager, he had killed the giant Goliath. And the people of Israel started to see David is this rising star in the kingdom, and they actually wanted David to become the king. So the context of our story today is that David's popularity is rising, and so is King Saul's jealousy and control. 
See, in fact, the people wanted David to be king so much that they created this little chant, this little song, and they would say this, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So in uh, the, the context here, remember, Saul is getting more controlling and jealous, and David is rising as a star. But look at scene one of our story. We're going to see the meeting of these two Kemosabes. And this Kemosabe meeting happens in 1 Samuel. Look at chapter 18, verses 1 through 4. After David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan, the king's son. And look at this next part. There was an immediate bond between them. For Jonathan loved David. Then look at what Saul does. From that day on, Saul kept David with him and wouldn't let him return home. It's like he wants to keep his enemy close. And Jonathan made a solemn pact with David because he loved him as he loved himself. Jonathan sealed the pact by taking off his robe and giving it to David together with his tunic, sword, bow, and belt. Remember, you cannot control when you will get your kemosabe, but what Jonathan was doing here is he had prepared himself by being a good friend, and then God brought a good friend in David into his life to be a part of his inner circle. So to get a kemosabe, learn to be a kemosabe, and Jonathan became just that. But some Christ followers actually feel a sense of guilt over liking one person over another. Have you ever felt that? It's like, because you don't want to exclude someone so you feel guilty because you only have this small group of people that you're closest to. Well, I want to give you a guilt pass on that. Did you know that Jesus actually excluded some people because he had a tribe of 12, didn't he? 12 guys. And then that means that if he had 12, that there were 12 others who could not be a part, right? And then within the 12, he had three that had special favor, Peter, James, and John. And then of those three, the Bible says there was the disciple whom Jesus loved. That would be John. See, so Jesus himself had a best friend, and that means you can have one as well. But back to our story about David and Jonathan. David and Jonathan, when they met and they became Kibosabi friends, they did what we call a DTR. You know what that is? It's define the relationship. In every relationship we're in, we have to define that relationship. You have to define, at least in your mind, if someone is going to be a peripheral friend or someone's going to be in the inner circle there. And the, and the thing that I think is interesting from this text is that Jonathan was a giving kind of friend. He gave, as a sign of the relationship, he gave David these gifts of his robe and his military gear, his bow and his belt and the like. And I think that these gifts represented something very significant. It was like Jonathan, this great warrior, saying, David, now I submit to you as a leader and as a friend. He gives him these gifts. And I imagine David treasured those gifts for the rest of his life. And I want you to be thinking about a kemosabe that perhaps you already have. Maybe God would lead you to give that friend a gift that's symbolic of the love that you have for them and the commitment that you make to them as you define that relationship as a good friend. But let's change channels to scene two of our story, and we're going to see that a Kimosabe friend passes God's test of submission. And so the context of scene two is that Saul had given orders to his minions to go and kill 
David because he was so jealous. And so these soldiers went out to kill David. John, uh, David's on the run, and Jonathan actually had warned David to get out of town so he wouldn't get killed. And now Jonathan has to go and confront his own father, who is the king. So there are times when if you're going to be a Kimosabe, you can't just tell your friends and the people in your life everything they want to hear, can you? You have to give them straight truth. You know, the proverb, I think, is wise, Proverbs 27, 6, where the author says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. If you've got a friend that's willing to speak truth into your life, even if you don't like it, that's oftentimes a good kemosabi to have in your life. And next week, we're going to talk about tribal intervention because in any time you have a tribe of people who gather together, one of the tribal members will get off the path. And if you truly love that friend, you're, you're willing to do an intervention and confront them about the direction of their lives. And so we're going to handle that next Sunday. But let's take a look at Jonathan confronting his own father, Saul, in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verses 4 and 5. It says, The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about him. The king must not sin against his servant David, Jonathan said. He's never done anything to harm you. He's always helped you in any way he could. Have you forgotten about the time he risked his life to kill the Philistine giant and how the Lord brought a great victory to all Israel as a result? You were certainly happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it at all. So Jonathan's going to his dad, and he's like begging with him, you know, Dad, why would you go and hunt down this good man who's only done good things for your kingdom? Why would you do this? This is wrong. With all due respect, Father, you're wrong on this. And what I want you to see there in the text, is you can actually see like the respect of Jonathan for his father. He didn't have to get outside of his father's authority that God had created, not only as his father, but as his king. And so he spoke truthfully, but with love and respect at the same time. And the greater miracle here, in my opinion, is that David continued to respect and love his king Saul, even though Saul was hunting him down. Can you imagine how hard that was to do? So I want to show you David's submission to Saul, the anointed king at the time. And in order to do that, I need you to go in the theater of your mind to a cave. Picture in your mind a cave. This cave is called Engedi. And it's the place where David and his small tribe of friends were hiding out as they were on the run. They were hiding, huddled up in this cave. They didn't know where Saul and his men were, but they knew they were close tracking them. And meanwhile, Saul has to go relieve himself. And so to get a little privacy, he leaves the rest of his group. He comes into this cave, and he's relieving himself. While David's men and, and David are standing there, first they probably laugh just a little bit. And then uh, the guys are telling David, hey, there he is. God put him right here in front of us. Dude, shank him right now. Take that guy out because if you'll take him out, then we won't have to keep running like scared animals. And David says, no, I'm not going to kill him. But David was a little bit on the naughty side, right? 
And so he sneaks over there by Saul, and he gets so close that he cuts off the corner of Saul's garment. Now, this whole story in the cave brings up a couple of questions in my mind. Question number one, if David and his men were talking, how come Saul didn't hear them? You're in a cave, and it echoes, right, in the cave, and you would think that you would hear other people talking. What's going on there? The second question I have is that the Scripture says that David was actually felt guilty. He felt bad about cutting off the corner of Saul's garment. What's going on there? How come David feels guilty about that? I mean, he should feel good that he just cut off the, you know, the corner of his garment rather than cut off his head, right? And so what's going on? Well, first question regarding how come uh, you know, Saul didn't hear him talking in the cave. Well, I, I'll take you to En because I visited there, and uh, here's a picture of En And now, uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, uh, you know, your pastor is the goofball pastor. The other pastors are taking notes, and I'm pretending to be Mr. Miyagi uh, there at this great site of a story in the Bible. Um, but behind Mr. Miyagi with the Ramones shirt on, you can see uh, the cave in the background after we had hiked up to Engedi. And that cave behind the waterfall there, it actually goes up and to the right there. And so here's the thing that was interesting to me about, about the cave of Engedi, is that I always wondered how come Saul couldn't hear him talking, but when you get up closer to it, the waterfall is making so much noise when it comes down, you could be just a few feet from someone and not even hear them talking because of the noise of the waterfall. But then, what about this cutting off the corner of the garment? What's the significance of that? Well, the Jewish people, even to this day, on their robes uh, or on their clothes, they'll have these little tassels that hang off the end. Have you ever seen those? And those little tassels are called a sitzi. And a sitzi, or the tassels on the corner or the edges of the robe, represent the wearer's authority, right? And so some of you remember that story in the Gospels where a woman who was struggling with a bleeding problem, she approaches Jesus, and you can see in this next artist's rendering, she touches the corner of his garment. Maybe she grabs a hold of his tassel, the sitzi there, because this woman no doubt knew the ancient prophecy about Messiah that he would have healing in his wings. And so she knew that on his wings, what are the wings? It is the robe, the prayer shawl, the edge of the garment, the tassels, the tzitzi. She knew that if she could just touch his tzitzi, she could be healed, and she was. So let's go back to the cave for just a minute. When David is cutting off the corner of Saul's garment, he's cutting off Saul's spiritual authority. And he's, he's cutting off Saul's ability to fulfill and live out Torah, which is the law for Jewish people. You see what's going on there? This is uh, uh, David cutting off the authority of Saul. But another thing that's going on in this story is that by refusing to take Saul's life, David is refusing to become an Absalom. You know what an Absalom is? An Absalom is a younger version of Saul. Some of you have had Absaloms in your workplace that are always trying to take out the person in authority over them. See, many years later, after Saul had died, 
David did take over as king, and he had a son, and his son's name was Absalom, but the spirit of Saul lived in Absalom, and Absalom tried to turn all the people against his own father, David. And he said to the people, you know, things would be much better if David wasn't the king, but if I were king, I would make everything good. Have you ever had that person in your office trying to take out the person above them? That's an Absalom spirit likened to Saul. An Absalom is just a younger Saul. But back to the story at hand in scene three, we're going to see a secret meeting of these Kimosabi friends, David and Jonathan. And I need to give you the context of this secret meeting. Okay, remember in the cave, David had cut off the corner of Saul's garment, and Saul realized that it was David that cut off his seatzy there, and uh, Saul realized that David could have killed him, and so he says, you know, maybe I should forgive him, and I'll call back my soldiers who are hunting for David for a time, and so David had a season of safety, but then, as happens to many Saul's, they relapse into their manipulative kind of behaviors And Saul relapses and again starts hunting David down and sends out the soldiers after him. And Saul, at this point in the story, is also very angry with his son Jonathan for actually liking this young David. And so this is the context where they have to to meet secretly and talk because they can't do so around any of uh, the palace guard or anyone who knows King Saul. So what Jonathan does is he devises a way where the two of them can meet. And they agree that uh, Jonathan will come out and he'll take this little boy with him who chases down his arrows, right? And so when he shoots the arrows, the boy will go fetch the arrows. And so Jonathan takes his bow and he tells the little boy, go long, really long. And he shoots the arrow as far as he can and the little kid runs after it. And we'll pick up the story there in 1 Samuel 20, 41. It says there, As soon as the boy was gone, David came out from where he had been hiding near the stone pile. Then David bowed three times to Jonathan with his face to the ground. Both of them were in tears as they embraced each other and said goodbye, especially David. At last, Jonathan said to David, go in peace, for we have sworn loyalty to each other in the Lord's name. The Lord is the witness of a bond between us and our children forever. Then David left, and Jonathan returned to the town. In those moments, David became a godparent for Jonathan's children and family. And one of the things that I want you to see there is that when Kimosabe friends come together, they can be emotionally authentic and honest. You see these guys embracing and crying. They're having a good dude cry there, like if a couple of guys get together and watch that movie Rudy or, you know, Field of Dreams or something like that. It's like a dude cry, and they're like, I love you, man, and this, you know, I'm going to miss you, you know. And Kimosabe friends are also committed to each other's families. And younger people, if you have a friend that tries to alienate you from your family, that is not a Kimosabe friend, and they are not to be trusted. I'll tell you that now. But these two were committed to each other's families. And so if you fast forward in time, we see this when uh, uh, Jonathan and Saul had gone into battle and they were dead. And David did become the king of Israel. And you know the first thing that he did 
is he sent one of his employees out from the palace to find any living relatives of Jonathan's. Now, usually that was bad news for the living relatives, right? Usually it was a king going to clean house and kill all the potential heirs to the throne. But in this case, it was something different. And David's men found Jonathan's son who was disabled. He was crippled. His legs didn't work. And David had this young man named Mephibosheth brought to the palace to sit at the king's table for dinner every night. You know, one of the cool things about the king's table is that when you're at the table, people don't see your legs. They just see you and you have dignity from the waist up. And one of the things that you'll see in the scriptures about a kimosabi kind of friend is a kimosabi always makes a place for the broken at the table. Isn't that good? There's always a place at the table for someone who's broken and that this culture, this evil culture that discards people who they think are broken, Kimosabis welcome them to the table. Our tribe is a tribe of brokenness. We're all broken at some level, are we not? So let's create those spaces at our tables. You know, throughout the years, I've constantly referred to uh, this one great theological work that made it a big impact on me, and it's a great, deep theological work that helps us see Christian community and tribal living. And it's the great theological work called Finding Nemo, okay? Okay. So in this first picture, you're going to see one of my favorite characters of Nemo's fish tank tribe. You see that guy up there? His name was Gil. You remember Gil? He was kind of like the maverick leader of the fish tank tribe there. And the thing that was interesting about Gil is he was a little rough. He had some scars, you know, because Gil came from the ocean. He was a wild fish that came from the ocean. He was brought into the tank in his whole life. He was plotting and scheming how he might be able to get out of the fish tank and back out into the wild, back out into the ocean there. And he kept trying to uh, teach the other fish how they might be able to somehow get out of that tank and get into the ocean together. But then if you change channels, meanwhile, you've got Nemo's dad, whose name was Marlin, and he had a kimosabi friend as well. And that kimosabi friend was Dory. Remember Dory? She was the friend that was willing to face the sharks with him and go through thick and thin. In fact, in another scene, they had to go through a field of jellyfish together. And Dory almost lost her life in that experience um, because she was willing to stick by her kimosabi friend on their mission to save little Nemo. So back to the aquarium tribe just for a minute. They were actually able to get free and get out of the fish tank and back into the ocean. And the beautiful thing is they did it together, didn't they? They did it together. And Nemo was finally reunited with his father and his father's kimosabi friend, Dory. And you know, I think that's a lot like us because, you know, 
We, brothers and sisters, are made for the freedom of the ocean, but we're not made to experience and escape the tank on our own. We do it together. We're better together in tribes. And if you're looking for freedom from some type of an addiction or struggle or issue or problem in your life, you never find it alone. You always find it together in community with others that are your kemosabi kinds of friends. You know, as we think back to the story of David and Jonathan, I've always been so impressed by what Jonathan was willing to give up for his friend David. Jonathan was the rightful heir to the throne, wasn't he? Because his dad, Saul, was king. But Jonathan was willing to give that up to David, his best friend. And you know, the interesting thing about that is that perhaps Jonathan saw something that was far more eternal and important than just his little kingdom on the earth. But perhaps he saw that through the line, the family line of David would be born one whose friendship is more important than any other friendship in the universe to you and I, and that would be Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus showed us his commitment in love for you and I in the way that he sacrificed for us. And I want to show you this in John 15, 12, where the scriptures tell us, this is my command, love each other in the same way I have loved you. And look at this next part. This is the, one of the most beautiful parts of the text there. He says, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. This is Jesus. And you know, I can't help but think that God in his sovereignty and sense of destiny for some of your lives brought you to this place today. Not just so you could learn about human friends. That's very important. But so that you can be friends with him. God's wanted to be your friend for a long time. Did you know that? You're not seeking God. He's seeking after you. He loves you and wants you to be his friend. And how do you get into his tribe? You simply believe. You simply believe that Jesus laid down his life on the cross for you to take the penalty for your sins. And I think it would be completely appropriate right now if we just stopped and bowed our heads and closed our eyes to pray. And some of you, if your heart is thumping like a tennis shoe in the dryer right now, because it's like it's come to you that God is drawing you into friendship and he wants to know you. And you felt so far from God, but for some reason your heart tells you that he's drawing you near to himself. I want you to just pray in your own heart and mind. This is private, just between you and God. Just say, look, God, I know I've sinned. I have sinned, God. But right now, I choose to believe that Jesus Christ laid down his life on the cross to pay the penalty for my sin to take the sin penalty for me, on my behalf, as my substitute. And God, right now, the best I know how, I welcome you into my life as my friend. I believe Jesus died for me. And I want to live in tribal community with you and others. As we continue in prayer, perhaps others of us are saying, to God, God, I want to be a kemosabi. I want to give gifts as a sign of my commitment to those closest to me. 
God, some of you are saying, I don't even have a good friend right now, but I'm just going to become the best friend I can be, and I trust you to bring Akimo Sabi into my life. Thank you, God, for putting together such a warm community, a city church downtown, where we can be encouraged in your ways and where we can meet Kibosabi kinds of friends. And we pray these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Everyone said, Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.